This is the EPLOG audio experience. Those were defining days because I had never trained for more than five days alone in the wild. And to be in the remotest, most dangerous road in the world, in the Arctic, with absolutely nobody, uh, with no signals, nothing, for the first 10 days, uh, you know, facing the possibility of being attacked by a bear almost every day, or just having serious breakdown and no one to help you, no satellite phone, nothing. I think it was pretty scary in the beginning uh, to you know go straight from Delhi into a place like that. But yes, I think sometimes uh, the universe is really with you. Hello and welcome to Hit The Road. This is India's number one podcast for all you cycling and triathlon enthusiasts. It's been a while, but we are back with a Big Bang episode. Big Bang because it's been a long time uh, since I have been trying to pull our guest on this ep- on one of our episodes because uh, he's really hard to get. Not because he's extremely busy. No, I'm not playing hard to get. He's always <laughs> traveling. Yeah, he's always traveling. <laughs> And uh, when we talk about it in this episode, I'm sure you will be mind blown. Uh, so this is Hit The Road Explorer Edition. Explorer because we are always talking about either competitive cycling or endurance cycling. But in Explorer Edition, we are beyond the time limits. We are only exploring the unknown where our mind and uh, will can take us with our pedals. Now soul starts to fly. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so I have with me Dhruv Bogra who has been an incredible cyclist for the last few years and a very difficult cyclist that to, to catch hold of <laughs> because he's always traveling. His mega adventure was a few years back when he traveled from North America to South America on his cycle. Uh, taking a break from office, I wonder how his office gave that break. But I'm very curious to know. And uh, he, I post that he has extensively traveled Himalayan circuit. And I'm really curious to know from him his experiences. And uh, yeah, let's dive in. Uh, welcome, Dhruv, on the show. It's so great to finally have you. Thank you, Rohan. Thanks for your persistence, patience, and uh, I would say perseverance. Okay. So I was just testing your perseverance. Like, I mean, you know, you know, so but yeah, I think uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, things happen when they're meant to happen. And this is possibly the best time uh, for it to happen. Also very fortuitous because I'm on the verge of relaunching my second book away. So it's possibly a good time. Oh, wow. To- you know, connect all the dots and connect all the journeys so far yeah. in the last 10 years. Absolutely. So, everyone has a different skill set and um, you have beautifully, uh, you know, captured it through your books. Your travelogue has been a book and uh, ever thought that you will professionally write a book and it will get published. So, did you have any thoughts like that before? Uh, yes. I mean, from the time I was a youngster, I always wanted to write and I did used to write short stories, but of course, I never showed them to anyone. And they got lost in trails of paper. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, much before this journey, there was always a dream or a plan to write a book, to photograph, and even maybe have a coffee table book. So mm. when I was embarking on this journey, one of the thoughts I had was, you know, I want to talk about when I explore the world, I want to share with everyone, uh, what is the state of happiness in the world? And of course, that that idea became 
bigger and bigger and then i started chronicling the journey in a very different sort of way encompassing mm-hmm. culture history geography terrains uh indigenous tribes climate change not just the cycling piece and the book therefore yeah. which eventually came out rohan grid gravel gear is not just a cycling book it's a yes. it's a book for all ages and groups people with all preferences whether yeah. they are cyclists motorcyclists armchair explorers they can just travel the world someone like me <laughs> I, i'm sure you do better than that someone people can just go out there and and see the world for what it is by just reading the book and that's the feedback i've got from hundreds of people who have written to me and yeah. uh, shared their perspective on it i'm certain so whenever uh, if you feel that you can't go anywhere just read the book and uh, it will literally give you wings and <laughs> something that red bull can't give so <laughs> yeah I, i used to read similar books before i embarked on my adventure mm-hmm. they used to inspire mm-hmm. me motivate me mm-hmm. as to imagine being in those far away lands and uh, little did i know that one day destiny would put me on the path to such an adventure wonderful so this is for the first time that i am not prepared to ask you a question because uh, we are trying to get you for two years flow. but i am not prepared today for a question because there's so much to you know unpack with you uh, which is one of the reasons why i didn't have a question today but uh, we are just going with the flow uh, like what you did with your uh, travel and uh, i want to know from you was uh, America your first big adventure or were you always uh, into something like this before right ron so good question i i, I think when i was when i started dreaming up of uh, cycling some part of the world i was not sure how long i would go for where i would go how long it would be but when i first started mm. dreaming of it i had places in my imagination like siberia like iceland or norway mm. uh you know maybe the old silk route which is wow. closer home closer to the history that we have studied yeah uh, it's only very much later when i was going through various journals that i stumbled across you know this beautiful a uh, long journey called the pan american tour and the pan american tour mm. goes mm. over 15 20 countries from alaska in the north to argentina in the south it traverses two continents and it's the kind of stuff that epics are made of and the more i read about it the more i mm. fell in love with the route because at the end of the day i'm been a history student a very serious one actually i, I took history by choice in college and i used to do a lot of research and one of the things wow. that i really missed studying in our school and college was south american history so one of strangely enough and you're going to find it very funny but it's true my earliest influences of south american history were tintin comics you know tintin and the picaros tintin and the brokenear and uh, i don't know how much of the youngsters today would know about tintin but my generation i'm in my 50s now we grew up reading tintin comics and there was no internet oh, and yes he was like our real life hero and i had it uh, when it was in te- television <laughs> right you saw it when it was television so and it's very interesting yeah. that when I, i i grew up from tintin into reading some very serious books on the maya culture the aztecs the incas and i said wow i mean this is like i can combine an amazing cycling adventure with you know really going into the lands that i've always dreamt of being a part of you know and then uh, interestingly I, and, and i must share this with you there is again from our times uh, not that i should say our times too much but there is an author called eric von daniken he is one of the first proponents of 
life having been created on earth by aliens and one of the places that he studied mm-hmm. extensively was india and the other was peru and uh, he talks extensively about the the mexican culture civilization peruvian cultures and how they were master civilizations created by another race so that intrigued me even further you know i said oh god i've got to go to this to these lands which i've read about when i was 12 years old so yes it yeah. was a lot of romance childhood memories and cycling is that rohan isn't it for all of us who are cycling when you first get on to a bicycle early in the morning it's about forgetting all your problems in life yeah having your caffeine True. and getting that kick in your brain and your soul and saying wow i'm yes. going to hit the road whether you are a triathlete whether you're just a road cyclist or a leisure cyclist everyone would agree with that we all kind yeah. of want to experience the freedom because it takes us back yeah. to the time in our life when we were children right when we had nothing to worry about so yeah this whole touring thing came from there amazing uh, when was uh, when was the year when you uh, went to america yeah so this was uh, i saw so i started from alaska a place called dedos right mm. at the tip of the no- you know just below the north pole um, about 400 kilometers mm-hmm. ahead of the arctic circle to it was i think june 21st 2016 and then of course over the next 14 months i traversed from down north america to canada us to mexico central america and down to peru mm. and ended my journey eventually in july 2017 so about 14 months i was on the road and over about 15000 kilometers on this just journey of course a lot of people in india are not really aware of how touring really happens now of course it's picking up last couple of years mm. but when you're touring you're carrying 40 45 kilos of gear you know you you're carrying all your equipment you're carrying the bicycle you're carrying yourself so if you take the weight of the bike and the equipment it's almost 50 60 kilos with all the frames and the you know racks and stuff like that yeah so it was self supported solo you know uh, no support vehicle trailing you anything like that you camp in the outdoors or you sleep in hostels wherever you get a place you cook your own food or you cheap in eat in small cheap motels or you know like small dhaba kind of places like we have in india you live off the road basically you know mm. and uh, for a good period of time almost 5 to 6000 kilometers the first 5000 kilometers i was in the remotest parts of the world with hardly a soul around me and those were defining days because i had never trained for more than 5 days alone in the wild and to be in the remotest most dangerous road in the world in the arctic with absolutely nobody uh with no signals nothing for the first 10 days uh you know facing the possibility of being attacked by a bear almost every day or just having that was my next serious question. breakdown and no one to help you no satellite phone nothing i think it was pretty scary yeah. in the beginning uh to you know go straight from delhi into a place like that but yes i think sometimes uh the universe is really with you i can't explain yes. it any other way i mean if if there are scientific minded people hearing this program they may scoff at it but at the end of the day i i think the universe there is a hidden energy out there which i have experienced mm. again and again on silent days which we cannot explain and it protects you you know i i went through the most dangerous parts of the world including mexico you would have seen the program narcos i was through riding to baja california yeah. for almost 2 weeks 
and i had marine commandos going up and down you know to raid drug cartel hideouts i guess mm-hmm. but not once did anyone ever stop me or question me or uh you know try to threaten me in fact they were extremely loving kind affectionate giving and caring you know right through from day 1 to day 400 and i i just feel very very blessed that the entire 400 days went off without any major incident except i felt sick a few times i got bronchitis i got a typhoid in all happened in mexico i think the sudden change in weather and the food uh and of course uh, i also ate fried grasshoppers once to check it out it's a mexican delicacy oh. and i had a massive <laughs> allergic attack after mm-hmm. that which <laughs> yeah, an equally massive injection saved me from <laughs> you know basically dying <laughs> oh <laughs> so yeah that was oh it, it was that serious it was very serious yeah. i couldn't breathe it was 10 o'clock at night and i was in a small town in mexico waka very big cultural center but still smallish from india standards mm-hmm. and fortunately for me in mexico they have an amazing system of pharmacies so they remain open all night okay and they have an attached doctor always mm. so it's never that you have to go and hunt for a doctor elsewhere there is a doctor attached to the pharmacy yeah. and he saved my life he gave me oh, a nice. very strong uh histamine so, injection and I there's another that. cartel also the pharmacy cartel in mexico <laughs> oh, they we have pharmacy cartels yeah yeah they 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 really good i mean <laughs> thank god they like india they don't they give medicine without prescriptions <laughs> Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's so your, they are the yeah. druggist. Yes, uh, but Mexico is an amazing country. Uh, it's really sure. incredible. And I, I believe there's a lot of cultural heritage as well uh, with Mexico. So, you, uh, being a history buff, you would have explored that as well. I did, and that was one of the main reasons. I mean, some of the world's highest number of UNESCO World Heritage sites are in Mexico. Almost thirty mm. of them. It's, it's a yeah. country which is half the size of India, maybe lesser, and hmm. extremely mountainous, but very, very old cultures. The Maya civilization, the Aztec civilization, were all born from Mexico. And if you just remove the current hmm. political boundaries, Guatemala was old Mexico, you know. And Guatemala has got yeah. Tikal, which is the seat of the Maya Empire, and uh, the one of the most complex hmm. civilizations in the world. And I was fortunate to have gone there. I spent time. going over pyramids and stones in the heat and you know i was everywhere on my bicycle i've been to yeah. the best museums in the world the most small museum to bigger museum i think i've got more pictures of artifacts in the world than even the people in those countries have you know all catalog yeah. never used so far but one day i hope i can have an exhibition of those pictures you would love to take a glimpse on that as well someday soon uh, because we have a podcast called history chatter which talks about history i would love to put it together for you i would love to it in fact it will give me a break from the normal cycling talk and it will allow me to delve <laughs> into the peruvian cultures i've got hundreds of pictures of the most exotic uh including uh you know in the peruvian culture just like in india we have the khajuraho temples with all the erotic art peruvian cultures mm-hmm. also have all that and they have an entire museum devoted to it so that okay. was very interesting as well oh we would love to see uh, that side as well of uh, yeah. history from you and uh, uh, before we go south 
let's let's uh, come back to alaska you were riding for days and thousands of kilometers alone and uh, alaska being alaska lonely place and uh, uh, snow snow everywhere so how was it for you to begin uh, your adventure from there yeah see i went in the month like, of june prepare which is when, yeah so the place where i started dead horse is an oil mining town called uh, prudo bay it has got mm-hmm. a fairly large settlement of american oil workers who are pumping oil from the beaufort sea mm. a lot of american oil comes from the north uh, the north uh, arctic ocean so it's a big base from an american yeah. oil construction point of view they all live in containers they don't live in fancy yeah. houses it's really a, yeah what you can imagine an old mining town 100 years ago except that they live in containers so my started my first day living mm. in a room in a container okay and this oh. container was a massive one built of 20 containers it had a cafeteria it had worker bunks and i was in a small 8 by 8 room with my bicycle uh and uh, i went to the northernmost post office of america there there is no mobile network so everyone talks in satellite phones um mm-hmm. there is one desolate road called the dalton highway which runs 750 kilometers from fairbanks which is a second biggest city in alaska next to anchorage and that road is all gravel uh it's a million mm-hmm. square kilometers of land with a habitation of only 300 people odd and um wow. and there are just one post in the middle of 750 kilometers called cold cold food station which is the pit stop for truckers mm-hmm. for all truck guys for uh, people who go hunting a lot of people come in uh, in helicopters to hunt there are also people who come to the great uh, arctic refuge so you may have read about the gates of the arctic refuge which is a 2 million square kilometer piece of land which is a natural habitat and a park which president trump mm-hmm. wanted to open up for oil drilling and thankfully with biden having come back the democrats having come back that's been stalled for now otherwise one of the most pristine mm-hmm. places in the world would have been utterly destroyed so i was in that oh. area and i was cycling alone mm-hmm. for you know two weeks of course on the way i've met so many adventurers in suvs and in in camper trucks uh, oil guys don't stop because they are on a schedule they are on gps mm. and they will not pick you up even if you're dying yeah. on the road they will not stop for you and uh but mm-hmm. one of the craziest parts was that there was no water the streams were full of uh, glacial oh. sludge so i couldn't even fill my water mm. bottles and over 10 12 days with no streams clear streams really except for one or two there was no place to fill water even though i was carrying 700 liters uh, to start off mm-hmm. so that was a big challenge i had to keep then by the third day keep flagging down vehicles begging for water and yes a lot of people did stop to give me water what i did not factor in was the glacial sludge in the streams because the glaciers were melting mm-hmm. in summer mm-hmm. and then they were carrying all the silt down in the in the rivers and you can't pump that water i right. had filtration right. units with me but they would have got right. jammed uh, so that was one part of the planning that i missed yeah. the other was of course i had to be constantly prepared mm-hmm. for a bear attack so i had my bear spray with me i had my knife with me i had a whistle with me to scare off bears um and of course food i was eating only dehydrated food i was carrying my gas stoves i mean my mm. you know butane gas and i was carrying a uh, uh, mm. you know a, a international msr kind of a stove which runs on kerosene as well as a backup and i was cooking my food boiling porridge and oats and you know boiling dehydrated food and eating it it was 
first two days were delicious but the third day i was sick of it and uh, that's it surviving on that burning 4000 calories a day putting in only 2000 calories and i think in the in the by the sixth or seventh day i had lost 4 kilos already in just flat 5 days so uh, and the dalton highway is not a flat road it was built in the 1940s mm. after world war 2 to connect fairbanks to alaska so that they could fight the russians and the japanese coming from the pacific ocean so they just built the road over the hills without flattening it without grading it so it's got gradients like 30% mm-hmm. and all the way down and then it has another gradient of 30% up so almost 100 kilometers to 200 kilometers i must have just pushed the bike just pushing no it was absolutely agonizing you can't climb with 40 kilos of gear on a 30% gradient and how many hours were you doing it uh, every day 8 to 10 hours of you know movement with the bicycle of which maybe 4 hours was cycling 4 hours was pushing up a hill yeah it was so steep because the At gradient point, only yeah so just to give you a perspective some of your audience who cycle in the himalayas or in the western ghats the roads are made keeping a car in mind okay so mm. typically the gradient would be 4 to 5% maximum 10% i'm talking about 30% mm. 25% gradients you know and uh, it was crazy yeah i mean when you looked at the road from far it yeah. is almost there's a pole in the middle and say is that a pole or a road yeah, yeah. the road of course when you come closer <laughs> to it it doesn't look so steep but from far it is steep it is like how will i how was the truck coming down so really steep i mean you, you can see some of the pictures on my blog it's really steep and so pushing that with 40 kilos of gear is not easy and i am not tarzan as you can see plus your so, own body weight plus your own body weight yes so i was very light by then i was flyweight <laughs> so but at, yes. at this point uh, did you get a thought that uh, why, why the hell am i doing this no never i said like why the hell did i not train better that was my main thing you know why did ah. i not anticipate this you know and i should have trained harder but i was in a full time job so it was very difficult yeah. to train full time very difficult yeah that was my another question uh, about how did you uh, of course uh, how did you manage to take out so such a big time is uh, another question but how did you train yourself managing your daily work schedules for such a route because uh no matter how much you train something is insufficient always so how always. do you manage it never train like a filmmaker asked me uh she asked me a question before i left a japanese filmmaker yeah she said how do you uh-huh. train for something like this i said i don't know i'm just doing whatever <laughs> the best i can so hmm. what i was doing for training i was filling my panniers with books heavy books in delhi Hmm. cycling around in the months of april march april february because my bike came a bit late took yeah. time to get made uh and you got a steel bike cycling for yeah surly it's a surly touring bike so it was made specifically for this purpose it's got a roll off hub it's got 26 inch wheels and uh reinforced spokes so bomb proof kind of a bike made with the best parts so thanks to happy on hmm. bangalore they did a great job and i was just moving around delhi around the gurgaon faridabad road with 40 kilos of of books in my in my panniers and going up and down i took a couple of trips to uttarakhand also with it but those were three day trips in 
in for in good weather in good weather so mm. but the day i landed mm. it mm. was raining and the day i took off on the 21st of june it started snowing and i was in an arctic snowfall and rain at the same time it was minus 7 or 8 degrees during the day and i was like frozen i mean there was ice my. on my jacket my down jacket i wore my down jacket because i was freezing after 2 hours of rain my down jacket also got wet then my underwear got wet after 4 hours it became dark by 2 o'clock in the afternoon because it was so dark and raining and by 7 o'clock i was uh, by 4 o'clock i was beginning to panic because i did not where to camp because on both sides is a swamp and there's a road in the middle a gravel road the what happens in the arctic is that the tundra is hard right but because of the frost on it throughout the year there's some it's eight months of snow i mean like ice but yeah. in the summer the first the, four to five inches melts it's called permafrost so it becomes watery like a sponge like a water bed so when we are there i'm going to pitch my tent in this water fortunately for me by about 4:35 in the afternoon when it looked more like 8 o'clock at night it had snowed so much that i came across two other swedish cyclists who had started off the previous day who had just done 30 kilometers oh, wow. on the first day had managed to do 90 on the first day and i caught up with them and i called out to them and they said yeah yeah you can camp here the ground is hard enough they were so tired they've been camping there for almost a one full day and this is just the first day first day also so i pitched next to them and it was like a water bed at night you know i was sleeping all wobbly because the ground was wet fortunately i was carrying a very high grade tent yeah very good tent i was carrying called the hedelberg it's from sweden and uh, i survived the night it was, it was almost like a blizzard the first night and the next morning was completely clear skies but freezing cold and of course snow all over the place and after that it became really hot and the mosquitoes came out so the alaskan mosquito is five times the size of the indian mosquito by the way it doesn't carry malaria but it really bites and they are very persistent they are the millions because of the swamping conditions so they really bite and they bite you through your clothes through your hair on your eyebrows on your eyelids so you got to cover your whole body with deet you know your exposed part of the skin including your ears your neck your nose your forehead every day for two weeks so yeah it was pretty hard but it was also fun it was adventurous it was crazy i was seeing a part of the world i'd never seen before it was very exhilarating what was one of the best things to happen in the north part definitely the dalton highway was the best uh, but i would i would seriously tell you canada mm. was really beautiful the icefield parkway banff jasper ah. uh the cassiar highway which runs into northern british columbia is as remote as uh, mm. yukon or alaska in fact it's the opposite it's just full of dense forests and pine trees and aspen trees and i saw like almost 14 bears mm. in one week who crossed the road oh. in front of me sat in front of me looked at me uh it was uh, beautiful <laughs> astonishing and also a bit scary Uh, and i think the best part of did my journey start, uh, was to start come up playing with you or running with him behind you no no they never did that i was careful enough i huh. was fortunate enough let me say i was yeah. fortunate enough they never chased me 
but they do come behind right they can if you provoke them or mm. if you have mm-hmm. a sudden movement so i st- i had studied bear behavior very closely uh mm-hmm. i had watched uh, huge videos on that because i knew to the real life threat i know people get killed on highways because of bears so what mm-hmm. to do when a bear attacks you what to do when your bear sees you and every night you got to pack all your stuff yeah. all your food your cosmetics into a airtight bag mm. walk 200 meters away from your tent and put it up a tree that's mm. the only way you can keep a bear away from you at night because they come foraging in the night and they can smell even the toothpaste in your tent one mile away one mile away oh even if the cap is not close is lying closed of the toothpaste they know mm-hmm. that sharp but they can't see very well they can't see very well beyond 10 feet 6 to 10 feet then the vision is blurred after that so if you just stand still if you're 20 30 feet away they can't really see you and they can't they can only smell yeah. you then based on the smell the bear mm. will decide are you a threat or not a threat any bear okay. decide to charge if he's with if she is with her cubs but if she is alone or she, huh. it's a male bear very unlikely that they will charge mm. unless you mm. start doing crazy things you you threaten it but if you just stand still freeze yeah. like a statue very mm. unlikely that they'll come for you there are many techniques to chase a bear hikers in north america typically put bells around their ankles while they're walking the bells keep clinking clink 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 so uh-huh. bears tend to run away they don't like humans it's oh, a bear will only okay. attack you if you suddenly yeah. surprise it like it happened to me i i came up mm. a hill and the moment i came up the hill on the crest right in front of me 20 feet away was a bear and i startled him and he startled me now oh. that was the most tense one because he got scared i got scared and he actually got into an attack posture but fortunately for me he was still a bit young maybe he was a 2 year old 3 year old bear he didn't attack though he was quite big but he didn't attack he was nervous then he just slunk off after 5 minutes of just watching me but yeah it was uh, and i was filming him all that time wow that's some uh, really intense moment i would say <laughs> yes i had another intense moment yeah. in a small town called hyder in alaska which is in actually in canada where i was walking to there mm-hmm. was a small cafe in town and i was walking to the cafe and to 10 feet to my right or to my left i heard a rustling in the leaves and there was a bear inside eating leaves mhm and i was barely 10 feet away i mean i could oh. just see his eyes every feature so clearly and he just looked at me and i looked at him and mm. uh i just stood still and kept observing him he kept looking at me and eating and then you know some people yeah. came by he didn't and, identify as a threat so he just He was okay. Yeah. And the hmm. the the cafe next to me was hmm. called the cafe uh what was it called I think the fair uh the bear uh bear fudge cafe or something okay so I said oh my god so apparently in that town of hmm. 100 people <laughs> bears are walking around oh, that's it people yeah yeah they walk across people lawns uh, women have to come rushing out to take the children away from the swings and take them inside stuff hmm. like that they don't shoot them uh-huh. but people do get killed if they careless hmm. just makes me think that we are so connected with nature but uh, we do have a boundaries and uh, 
we think if, we are connected but really yeah. uh, once you spend 7 to 10 days alone in the forest uh, is is i think what i would really ask everyone to do if they can once in their lifetime just go into the forest with your tent and sleep in the dark under trees it's the most crazy experience of your life alone hmm and those trees in that part of the world are like 2000 years old 3000 year old trees you know and when you sleep under them you can literally sense the history of the earth the spirits hmm the, the most psychedelic dreams in my life i've got sleeping under the trees wow there is some strange yeah. power out there which you, which i cannot describe <laughs> 100% yeah yeah uh, the, it it may also be because uh, we have been so much uh, away from nature like anything that we do uh, is just about going away from it than to uh, come closer to it <clears throat> and if we if we start experiencing it uh, even for a a day i think uh, uh, that experience you would never want to go away from <laughs> yeah yeah totally there is there is an author yeah. from germany his name is peter wolpen he's written a book called the heartbeat of trees mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. really advise everyone to read it because he talks about a concept called forest bathing and how important it is to Okay. Even in your city forest if you just go in early morning mm-hmm. or for a walk into your city forest. Yeah. The bathing in the forest heals you in many ways. And he's one of the pioneers in doing tree wow. research in the world. So it's very very interesting. I just wonder where will I go? <laughs> of course, the national park is there, but <laughs> yeah, it's still quite out of bounds, I would say. Yeah, you can go uh, into the western parts. Uh, but that, uh, yeah, can we go? But with like, uh, it's always been that. Uh, it, no, can just, we just go in like how village, you did? Beautiful village on the way to Ambi on the left called Shilim. Now the Papna mm-hmm. Dam. Just go for a day hike with your friends. take a backpack yeah. stroll yeah. around walk into the woods it's no problem awesome it got me thinking why didn't you choose uh, any other mode of transport it could be a bike it could be a car why bicycle i was a bicyclist there's no option i mean there was no <laughs> question of of going in a car or or anything yeah. else i always wanted to bike and i wanted to take it slow and explore the world like one of my friends put it you know he's an american guy who's been touring with his wife for 2 3 years hmm. he said it's no windshield it's a no windshield life so and that's the best life you can smell the earth you can see the yeah. blades of grass in the air you can see the leaves fly by you feel the wind in your ears experiencing every air. meter of your smell distance. the earth in a car you can't do that in a car you miss so much yeah. you miss the butterflies you miss the moths you yeah. miss the mongoose crossing the road you miss the snake you miss uh, birds <laughs> you see nothing in a car i, I think mm. going in a car is really yeah. like a you just speeding mm. yeah i mean i've mm. i still go by car obviously to the mountains but when i reach there i just get on take my bike and i leave the car uh, i don't want to mm. take the car anywhere last year i spent yeah. two months Uh, because of covid uh, and the lockdowns in delhi i was in dharamkot for two months and i was staying mm-hmm. in a hostel there i didn't use my car on a single day in two months i was only walking everywhere 
and i had wow. taken the bicycle that's it two months the car was like the battery went off <laughs> i could restart the car <laughs> didn't didn't use it at all yeah so and also the carbon footprint you know in, in stellar places in the world yeah if people don't who don't get yeah, the time off work like i mean i had to leave my mm. job there was no question of leave or sabbatical for a year and a half i had to quit i had a six figure salary i had to quit that i ran out of money i had to break my pf so the point is that some people can't do this for good reasons mm. so for them it's fine you know you got two months to explore the world one yeah. month to explore the world you know you got to cover this area you got to take yeah. a bike or a car i understand that but if you're a cyclist and if you can take time off go mm. by a bicycle also ron one more thing when you're on a bicycle i just want to add one more thing people open up to you they see you as a true adventurer of the planet someone a human being they don't see you as a tourist and mm. they really pamper you they look after you they protect you because you're not a tourist you are an explorer so in yeah. their minds they've also grown up dreaming of doing this mm. you then become an extension yeah. of their dream you know yeah you're almost like a real life hero for children on the road you know it's 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 fun 100% 100% yeah who wouldn't want to uh, break from the race of uh, i don't know which race but <laughs> there's a race <laughs> yeah so i i wanted to ask you what was your family's uh, like of course they supported you that's how you went but uh, was it difficult to convince them that you want to take a break like this and just go alone for 14 18 months So Rohan I'll purposefully flip the question a bit for you why I'm saying this because yeah sure the yeah, yeah, yeah. objective of this program is to inspire and motivate others to follow their calling yeah i in that sense was an outlier i did not take anyone's permission hmm. i did not take anyone's okay. consensus i just took the decision and i went everybody yeah. was against it yeah 99% of friends and family hmm. that i spoke to In fact I gave up on mm-hmm. one of my best friendships because he discouraged me vehemently and I just cut myself off from him mm-hmm. because I realized that his energy would disrupt my journey because he was vehemently against it he was not supported at all he said you are so everyone in the family was against it and when I said goodbye to my parents I didn't know whether I'm going to ever see them again I wrote a will and went mm. so I I gave the power of attorney to my mother for stuff. So the point is when you go on such a long journey you don't know whether you're going to come back alive whether you ever going to come back alive or not. There's no guarantee, right? I mean the the, the stakes are too high. So why I'm saying this mm. is because in life especially in our cultural context in India we in my personal opinion I'm not trying to preach here but in my personal opinion we attach too much importance to what others think of us and will others support us on our dreams i have met many cyclists including one 18 year old girl in an adventure expo who cycled from kanyakumari to kashmir alone and everybody in her family was against it and she cycled alone in india as a young girl but she did what she wanted to do another 13 year old became the youngest person to climb mount everest 
even though her family was against it they didn't want to lose their child the, the possibility of losing your child amount everest is very high so i just want to sort of get across to the audience that yes family acceptance is important but there are do not put a limit to your dreams do not let your vision die out convert your dreams to action with a plan and make it happen and find creative ways to convince your family if they are not okay with it so my father uh, he's been in the army i expected him to say yes immediately he didn't maybe because he lost too many men in battle he's been into wars he didn't want to lose his son and i'm sharing something very personal and he didn't support me but when my bicycle came and all the stuff came and he saw all the equipment getting together slowly he realized this mad son of mine is really serious about this crazy adventure and then of course he blessed me in the end completely and then he was following me very very actively right through but until then he just thought it's a dream he didn't pay attention to even though i was 45 years old or 48 years old i think at that time 48 so you know not a young man anymore but a completely mature guy who could take his own decisions so i think it's really important to challenge yourself don't let your vision die down that's really important and if if you have conviction in what you are absolutely wanting to do, so, one gentleman uh, it one, is possible one, one lovely young man he wrote to me a couple of weeks ago on instagram saying i want to do this amazing route and i'm going for it but i'm worried about hmm. my wife you know what if something happens to me how do you handle it i said take your wife along yeah it's just for one month you're going take her along maybe make yeah. her your uh, support partner if she doesn't want to bike she can go behind you and support you you know so any kind of creative possibilities are there to do mad stuff mm. what we others call loco Absolutely. or mad in spanish but <laughs> very very normal to people like us right? yeah 100% and um, what what other things that you experience uh, why don't you share it with us what what is something that uh, you experience in central america and south america yeah, I, i think one of the key messages yeah i mean other than the cycling i i cycled over 15000 yeah. kilometers if you just look at statistics uh, my elevation gain was more than 250000 mm. feet which is like climbing mount everest seven times and yeah So those are the statistics that may interest some cyclists uh, carrying 40 kilos of gear, uh, camping under bridges. Any specific tools or uh, a preparation or anything that you yeah, specifically had that. for this? I'll come to that. I'll come to that. So yeah, the tools that you need to carry is obviously your basic tool set that you need to carry. Uh, your cables, spokes. Uh, you should have your uh, at least. two tubes things things like that is all in the book mm. what to do what not to carry yeah 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 um you could carry a folding tire maybe but it's going to add to your weight mm. at least 500 grams more and you keep thinking should i add peanut butter or should i add the tube you know so for example <laughs> you know a lot of people would say what did you eat on the way so most of the time when you're in remote areas there are no cafes and restaurants mm. on the way there's nothing so you got to carry what yeah. you eat so you I used to carry bread. I used to carry peanut butter, uh, dehydrated meat. That's mm-hmm. it, and and uh, packed uh, oats, 
and just keep eating that day and day out for seven days, ten days, all meals. Because if you start adding things like dal and rice and all, see if the two people traveling, they can distribute the weight. Like a lot of couples I met on the way, yeah, they cooked elaborate meals on the stoves because the weight of the tent, mm-hmm. the weight of the basic common equipment that they shared, the tools were distributed between yeah. two bikes. So one could carry the mm. clothes, one could carry the equipment, the other could carry the kitchen stuff. So two people carrying the same. But mm. in my case, I was going solo, so I yeah. had to carry everything, right from the filter system to yeah. camping to stove to mattress to you know, tent. Their, your food, this little bit of mini laptop, the you know your winter gear, your socks, everything. I didn't even have a spare set of shoes. I just I didn't have slippers. I just kept mm-hmm. cutting down weight as I kept going and getting smarter and smarter with it. Till my initial forty kilos of weight came down to thirty mm. kilos. I just threw away stuff. Wow. Thirty kilos, or ten kilos mm. of stuff. I just dropped on the way. I don't need this. I don't need that. And I was surviving on two pieces of underwear. Three pairs of socks, two jerseys, one down jacket, one merino wool sweater. That's it, and a buff and all that, and of course your cycling shorts, couple of them. That's it. I was able to get it all down. The most of the weight came from 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 the tools, from the food, from the stove, mm. from the alcohol for the stove. It's called ethyl alcohol. It's meant for cooking, uh, and you get it in paint hardware shops in, in that part of the world. Mm. Uh, a good pure form of it. So there are many things. You carry your knife. Each damn yeah. thing adds up. Five grams, ten grams, hundred grams, two hundred grams, till you are thirty, thirty-five kilos. You have to mm. manage it very scientifically. And I made the typical it's mistake. True way to be minimalistic. Plus, you got to carry five liters of water. Five to seven liters is yeah. seven extra kilos. You know, it's not a joke. And then what happens with that? Irony is that the world is a very mountainous mm. place, Rohan. It's not flat. Hmm. You may see flat roads. Yeah. The rest of the world is like <laughs> continuously like Western Ghats, yeah. and then the Himalayas after yeah, that. Yeah. That's it. You're yeah. climbing every day. So, how do you manage that? And in the rain. So, you know, a good part of my U.S. journey of three months, two months was raining. I ran straight into the Pacific hmm. Northwest monsoon, and it was like bullets of rain for two weeks at a stretch. Two weeks. So much My. so that one point I had to just stay put in a campground because it was so heavy. It was like a Kerala rain. You couldn't mm. budge, and it was cold. It's North America, wow. so four degrees, three degrees, yeah. two degrees rain. You know, you're just kind of surviving there. You can't even take your stove out to cook food, so you're just munching bars and something, 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 and just managing for three, four days like that. Yeah, it was a lot of adventure. And a lot of good stuff. I saw mm. Mexico was beautiful, beautiful churches, beautiful culture, lovely people, great food, uh, great architecture, fantastic architecture. Mexico, great culture. I mean, it's a, that country is an eye opener, really. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, the American media has demonized that country, but it is one of the most beautiful mm. countries in the world, including Peru. Peru is yeah. just fabulous country. So. Certainly, uh, from uh, you know, coming back to your tools question, that's all you need to carry: basic stuff. Don't over carry yeah. stuff, and keep your bike simple. You know, keep the setup of your bike simple. Like I'll give you a basic example: I remove the I remove the classic derailleur, and I replace it with a German roll-off hub. Okay, which is all the entire derailleur is in the hub. It costs a lakh, 
but it's trouble free for 50000 kilometers just guaranteed to never break down unless you're extremely unlucky then you have to send the hub back to germany mm-hmm. from wherever you are but other than that no mark gets into it nothing so your bike remains virtually maintenance free so majority mm. of touring cyclists use the gear of roll off hub it's a unique german invention okay the, all the gears are inside the derailleur are inside this hub mm. it's not an mm-hmm. external hub so the shifting is better Got it's it. smoother it's it's 14 speed so you know you are able to climb much faster huh. much better on very steep steep roads uh, it's my favorite yeah. uh, favorite derailleur yeah. i mean when i go to the himalayas sometimes wow. on steep roads i take that bike so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. talk something about the food uh, the culture how was it when you were traveling like i told you much of my food in the first 5000 kilometers or 4000 kilometers was limited to very basic stuff which i could carry dehydrated stuff Uh, stuff that I could just pick up yeah. on the way or cook on that the way. That was from Alaska to Central America, right? Yeah, no, 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 not really. Five thousand kilometers is more like Alaska, Yukon, Canada. That's it. That's five thousand kilometers. Okay, so hmm. up till Canada, till okay. Jasper, I really didn't get much food. To be honest, there are no restaurants on the way, hmm. no big towns. If I did come across a small town, I would just head straight to the cafe and just gorge on pizza and pastry and and just get all the calories in. My main craving used to be for the red drink that you were just having sugar you want sugar and salt all the time <laughs> all the time yeah. you want butter you want to lubricate yeah. your joints you want to you know uh, just get body fat back on so you can burn body fat because yeah. you move to ketosis yeah. you know you hardly get sugar on the right. way so you move to a ketosis stage where your body is burning fat and is craving fat so you go and hit you mm. know i hardly drank on the way no beer nothing so pizzas mm. and mm-hmm. you know i would hit the cafe right there but again for 10 days i would get yeah. no decent food mexico was a lot like india mm. except america lot like india bit more populated lot of highway towns yeah. Yeah. uh enchiladas and you know rice okay. fried egg avocados fried banana chicken huh. maybe those are the main foods and of course there are the other heavily fried stuff mm. you know uh with pork right. and thing like that all that happens but that food is uh, good to eat but sometimes risky on the highway right because it's meats and there's no refrigeration yeah. no refrigeration right. happening tough for digestion yeah so tough for that yeah. digestion also but you got to eat uh, how else will you survive yeah so that was fine i think most of central america was fine south peru was fine with food except in some stretches where again in peru there was yeah. no food when i was climbing to the 4000 meter 4500 meter plateaus again there was absolutely nothing there surviving on chips mm-hmm. and coke and you know small small packaged food which is available for truckers on the way like biscuits so i would make sure i had two things with me always yeah. you know peanut butter great source of fat and protein mm. and energy bread which is good yeah. carbohydrates and i would ensure that i had dried meat with me mm. all the time that's very high protein and dried meat you can get in central america right it's very easy they they They, it's not like the american dry meat which is like mm. jerky meat which is packed it's uh, you know processed and packed this is just mm. raw meat which is in very village fashion okay hung and dry and spoiled and it doesn't get spoiled so and cheese i i used to carry yeah. cheese with me all the time can a vegetarian do this adventure yes of course why not 
100 percent i you can do it and in fact there are a lot of vegan cyclists also i turned vegan when i came back for about three years oh wow and uh mm-hmm. but you can do you can do uh stuff like that you for example uh lentils and rice good good stuff to have you get uh peanut butter is is vegan yeah. right there is no milk in it uh and there, there are vegetables yeah. so it's not a problem there are a lot of good vegan cyclists out there yeah definitely you can do it great it's really cool dhruv and uh what we'll do is we'll turn this episode into two parts where this part where we have talked about your american adventure and in the second part we'll come back to india where we are talking about your himalayan adventure but before that uh, for america those uh, maniacs and mavericks who wants to attempt what you did any tips yeah i think uh, the main tip is believe in your dream to do that number 1 yeah number 2 you got to be courageous and be a brave heart and do your research yeah you know uh, it's not that easy when you mm-hmm. ask me about training i had been cycling in the mountains already for a good 6 7 years before i went on this trip so my body was generally conditioned and of course then i had to just push it harder mm-hmm. and when you're touring please enjoy your journey you're not in a race i was trying to team up with somebody yeah. and i came across a german yeah. guy and he said i said he said how long are you going to take to get to argentina i said i planned for 2 years he said i am going to do it in 7 months hmm. i said what are you going to see he said no i got to sort of this i i go fast and that my my thing is to do this 24000 yeah. kilometers in 7 months and get back to germany so i didn't team up with him so team up with the right person if you're going with someone make sure your temperaments are the same hmm. uh because there's you may want to take photographs hmm. you may want to meet local people um you need to have a little bit of commonality otherwise you'll be fighting on the way after one week sync your agendas yeah sync your agendas sync yeah. your lifestyle preferences sync what you want to do and also just hmm. let go let it flow but train well for it research i researched hmm. for one full year i mapped about hmm. 14 15 maps i plotted every day and every elevation gain of every day on an excel sheet i knew exactly my wow. ability i knew how much i could cycle with 40 kilos and how much i knew then this day mm. to this day from this town to this town is 620 meter elevation gain can i do this in one day yes i can but there were days where you know the distance between towns was 200 kilometers mm. and a road cyclist said mm. ah, i could go in 8 hours it's not that simple when you're carrying 40 yeah. kilos of gear and you're against the elements a headwind or rain or whatever uh. you can't do 200 kilometers in one day maybe it'll take you 3 days right mm. so you need to plan your camping spot you need to see the elevation gain what is the elevation yeah. gain is it 3000 feet is it 4000 feet is it 5000 feet depending on mm. that you calibrate your own capability and pin down each day that is how i came to about 18 to 20 months to do go till argentina mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. go to count for rest please rest every week for one or two days yeah. let your body recover because you're tearing muscles you're fatiguing yourself you'll drain yourself out and the next thing is in epicenters of culture and civilization take four five days off enjoy yeah. this part of the planet which you'll never see again and of course the last bit that i want to mm. talk to you about uh, before we end this episode is my exposure to the indigenous tribes of the world you know the inuits yeah. in north america the first nation people of canada mm. 
what we typically call Eskimos. They're not Eskimos, but they're Native American people. And they, their culture is very... Do they wear embedded. something on their head? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're deeply embedded in that part of the world. They don't yeah. wear that except yeah. in ceremonies. But okay. they are very proud of their culture. And that culture has been decimated mm. by, uh, I would say, European powers who conquered North America in mm. the 16th, 17th century. Uh, millions of them died due to smallpox and diseases from Europe. Yeah. Then they were subjugated. And today, slowly, they're winning their rights back to their land, to their culture, the right to hunt the way they want to, all that. Yeah. But until 20 years ago, it was catastrophic. And we have to learn these mm. lessons and protect our own tribal cultures from dying out. You know, because a lot yeah. of these cultures don't have written languages. And now the Canadians and the Americans have realized mm. what a big mistake they've made. You know, you may have read about the hundreds of bodies of school children found in boarding schools, buried secretly by the church in, you know, mm. in, in North America and Canada. It's all the mm. stuff of the past which is haunting them today. So they set up language labs in the major universities in Canada to record the language of the elders before they die. Because the youngsters are not interested anymore. Mm. Because Rowan, what did they do to the youngsters in the 70s and 60s and 50s? They shunted all the youngsters from the tribal villages and sent them to English boarding schools wearing mm. English uniforms and gave them yeah. English names, not the original names. Classic colonization. The original name is something else. A 12-letter yeah. word. Yeah. But they've been given Peter, Sam, John. Mm. And these kids came back with absolutely yeah. no aspect of their language. So the entire generation got wiped out. Mm. So the elders are the only ones who are 85, mm. 90 years old who are the last uh, custodians of their language. So now yeah. it's going... And why I'm narrating this is because in the Yukon, I was cycling one day, a remote part, and yeah. I meet this guy who comes on a jeep. He stops and he's obviously Inuit. They have Eskimo kind of eyes and all that. And he stopped, gray-haired guy, and yeah, he stopped yeah, him. Yeah. And he said, he asked me where I am from, where I'm cycling. And I told him everything in a very passionate, romantic sort of way. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, can you please come back and teach our children their language? I said, how will I? He said, no, come back, learn our language and teach my children. I mean, that was the oh, most, okay. birth, that was the most uh, defining moment in my entire 14 months. You know, it's like almost I'm supposed to do that and I couldn't do it. But the point is, that's how desperate they are yeah. to save their culture. And we must bring these learnings around back mm. to our own people, our own tribals, yeah. indigenous yeah. rights. Even we, we have got so much of knowledge yes. that is there with the uh, heartlands and the tribes exactly. that is untapped. And, MP, uh, the respect Pradesh. as well. Yes, yes, totally. We have to go back to our ancestral knowledge. There's lots to be discovered there. I, I, I had few more questions about planning, but uh, we will do that in the next part. So, listeners, sure. don't forget to tune in to the second ep- part of this episode where we'll, we'll be talking more with Drew about how he uh, plans his journeys, how he plans this uh, weeks-long uh, adventures on bicycle and, of course, how he did the Himalayan circuit on the next episode of Hit The Road Explorer Edition. 
Till then, stay tuned with me. If you have not subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Epilog Media website or wherever you get your podcast from. This is Rohan Thakkar signing off, and make sure you tune into the next episode.